Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to this 232nd edition of the H2O Podcast. I am Editor-in-Chief at Sci-Fi for Me, Jason Hunt, and over there, my faithful companion, Mindy Engineering on the board, also known as Mrs. Boss, and to my left, my trusty sidekick, (laughs) because that's what we're talking about, faithful companions and trusty sidekicks. Timothy Harvey is here. Hello, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I made you coffee. <clears throat> Isn't that usually the sidekick's job? That well, it could also be the the faithful companion's job because it depends. <laughs> one of them, while well, one is making coffee, the other one's getting kidnapped. You know, by the va- <laughs> by the villain. So let's let's figure out who's going to be who. So. You said the, you said the keyboard's working, so I can go get kidnapped. Well, yes, yes, the keyboard is working, so I can engineer from here in case Faithful Companion gets uh, grabbed. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, so Faithful Companions and Sidekicks. And yes, we are just a smidge late. That's been pretty much the order of the day all day today, but uh, it is what it yes, is. Yes, it's uh, Monday. It's even, even not relating to this, I would agree with that, my own <laughs> my day job. There was a lot of that today. I tell you, it is, uh, it, we got slammed over the weekend because, uh, last week we were out, out of the office for a couple of days because of some family stuff. And, um, we get back and Mindy's going over all of the cancellations. And last week it was two or three in a day, four or five in a day. Today it's what? A good fifteen or twenty. Not surprised. I mean, just boom, 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 just one right after the other, and so everything, everything got delayed out of that. But well, unfortunately, a lot of these places are a lot of these events are taking places at in these large urban environments, which have suddenly become hotspots again. Yeah. Um, so you know, be careful out there, folks. Be healthy, and and uh, uh, this stuff will come back around. But for now, it's it, it, uh, not terribly surprised. And and uh, think about think about healthy things for a while. Right. Well, and Mindy, could you dial our dial our slider up just a little bit on the audio there? I'm looking at LEDs and I'm seeing us not quite loud mm. enough. So that was a that was that's on me. I didn't set it right. So that's what happens. So funny story. We've been talking about doing the psychic thing for a while now. Yes. Because we have other things to talk about and. <laughs> various and sundry things, but um, interestingly enough, I was going back through my Audible collection, and if you folks have listened before here, I've talked about the fact I've got a stupidly large Audible collection, um, mostly because I drove for a living for four years, right. uh, a little bit longer than that, actually. Um, and so I listened to a ton of audiobooks. Well, I went back and I started, I was, uh, there's there's a whole bunch of cool stuff coming out 
over the next several weeks, including the new Sandman audio uh, right, audio collection, right. which narrated is, by Neil Gaiman, and an incredible cast of, of voices on that. Um, but that's not out yet. That comes out on Tax Day. That comes out in two days. Little plug there. I'm <laughs> I pre-ordered and everything. Um, I guess I want it bad. But so I'm going back and listening to some of my old, my older stuff, and um, I. Just as a not really planning anything, I started listening to um, a series that um, the author, uh, Ailey Martinez, writes a lot of humorous fantasy, humorous science fiction. It's okay. very, very funny stuff. Um, and he has uh, very few of his books are actually in a series exactly. They're all standalones. But he has one called Constance, the Constance Verity series about a young woman who is... As a child, was was uh, a magic spell was applied to her for she would have a life of adventure, and okay. so from the age of seven, she's been saving the universe. After a while, it's, it's tiring, and she wants to retire, but she's they won't let her do it, et cetera, et cetera. One of the major characters is her friend uh, Tia, who is her trusty sidekick. Sure, okay. Um, and one of the things that's that is a spoiler alert for the second book in the series. It's a, it's a plot point. Sorry, but. The books are much more fun. Just go ahead and listen to them or read them anyway. Um, it's discovered that Tia, the susty, trusty sidekick, is critical to making sure that the hero can do her job. <laughs> and while everyone thinks of Tia as the sidekick, it turns out in the grand scheme of things, she's been there for every critical moment that required... You know, someone someone had to watch right. the hero's back. Someone had to be there to, you know. So sure, T is off getting captured all the time, often by people who are very very polite captors. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, but um, so it's critical actually, and and it's one of the things that we think about when when sidekicks is that you think about so many of these characters. Of course, the classics, um, yeah. Robin, okay, the the Bat family, um, the, Tonto. Tonto is an interesting character because Tonto is, depending on the interpretation, and there's been multiple interpretations of the Lone Ranger over time, sure. um, Tonto is as much, it's much as a, a, a double act as it is. And of course, the Lone Ranger would not actually be the Lone Ranger without Tonto. So there are certain things where secondary, secondary characters are actually primary characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, and of course, you look at someone like Robin. Of course, there's been multiple Robins, um, but you could also look at Star Wars and go R two D two and C three PO or sidekicks. I could see that. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's different ways to look at the idea of these characters, and they become really really important in terms of genre fiction, especially in the superhero genre, um, but uh, also in the uh, action film genre. Say, look at the Indiana Jones films. You could argue very strongly in the first film that Marion is a sidekick. I see. I would say Marion fits more as a faithful companion than as a trusty sidekick because, to <clears throat> it, to me, if if you get you know nuts and bolts of the definitions, sure, a sidekick to me is someone who helps enable the hero's action in some way. Whereas the faithful companion is not necessarily involved in the action elements of the hero, but he's there as a friend, confidant, partner, 
Which the, would, the relationship is a little bit different than... Which with, would not be Marion in, in the first film, because they are antagonistic to each other. She is immediately captured, which is traditionally the role of the sidekick. Um, if you're going to go into the the tropes of sidekickdom. Well... Um, and um, she is... Uh, they don't really become allies exactly uh, until late in the film. Their relationship for a good chunk of the film is curse you, Jones, for ruining my, you know, my life. It's not a... So by that, by that notion, would you then say that you have the same... Could you apply that same dynamic to Batman and Catwoman? The, well, the Cat, Catwoman is an, an interesting case because she's A, does not qualify, I think, in sidekick at all in most interpretations of the character. Okay. Trusted companion is a tough one because for a significant chunk of the relationship in the comics... Um, while there has been a romantic angle at uh, over a significant chunk of time, yeah. <clears throat> very rarely has it been a, has the word trusted <laughs> been an accurate description of the of the label. But I mean, you could go broadway broadwise, sure, because you can end up with it. While certainly in the current run of the comics, and it's been for a while now, their relationship has actually been more of a, a solidified romantic relationship that's sure. been. Um, and has led to Catwoman functioning somewhat as a hero, or at least an anti-hero. Um, but I think that that that's a relationship that's kind of hard to quantify, <laughs> as opposed to say uh, Green Arrow and Speedy, sure, um, or or um, <clears throat> the various you know the, the various standard superhero sidekicks. The some of those things, um, well. A lot of them involve child endangerment, uh, but a lot of those characters were created at a time when when we weren't thinking of things that way, and and we certainly weren't treating comic books as if they were anything connected to the real world. They were not meant to be examples of, of, uh, yes, you too should put on a costume and go out and fight crime. This has never been a, a you, know. you know. You mentioned Speedy as you know the sidekick to uh, Green Arrow, and you look at what was done to Speedy. Uh, with in Denny O'Neill's run mm. with the drug ad, uh, addiction and, and all of that. And then you look at what happened to Jason Todd as Robin, and there is that added element of the sidekick where they are... You, the writers are able to put the sidekick in mortal peril... Mm-hmm. In a way that you can't do with the hero. I mean, we always we, we know that the hero's always going to survive, generally. Right. Unless you're telling like an Elseworlds story or something like that. But, but the sidekick doesn't always survive. Edric, uh, for example. Uh, for, yeah, there's a couple of things there uh, that play into this. First of all, J both Jason Todd and Edric from Doctor Who. Um, were incredibly unpopular characters with audiences. Now, Jason Todd was not as unpopular as people were led to believe at the time. It was a fairly close... It was a classic example of the fans contributing to the the fate of Jason Todd. And it was a lot closer than a lot of people realize. Um, but Adric was unpopular. He wasn't also very popular with his co-actors. Uh, uh, as it turns out, Lala Ward, uh, who played Romana... Um, was not a fan. In fact, I believe, as I recall, she has preferred not to mention 
him in audio re in in commentary tracks because they don't it's, 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 you don't want that language on your audio track. Oh wow, okay. she's not yeah. So there's bad not feeling. A fan, okay. Not a fan. But you look at you look at some of these characters. You know, Jason Todd. You're able to kill off Robin. Of course, spoiler alert: Jason Todd's not dead. Um, I know it's a shock to a lot of people, but what? It's true. Yeah. Comic book death, folks. Uh, it's there's a reason that's a call. It's called comic book death. But you also had, you know, Speedy is, a, is an interesting example because the abuse of Speedy is something that a lot of people have noticed over time is that it never actually stopped. While you were able in those years to use Speedy as a sidekick and put him through traumatic experiences that enabled the hero to, to look at things in a different way or to deal with a, deal with a real life situation, the drug addiction was a, something that people were dealing, that was, a, that was the, real life, the real world definitely being part of the storyline. It was happening. It still happens. It's been happening for as long as there've been drugs. Um, but even so, it, once Speedy became Arsenal, the trauma conga line for mm -hmm. Arsenal never stopped. I mean, he's had his his kid got killed. Um, he lost an arm. I mean, it's just all these. I think he's he might be dead now. It's hard to tell with everything. I mean, I'm not even sure anymore. Where if, yeah, I, I think I don't know. Where I'm he's pretty at sure. Right now. I believe he's back. He's he's alive again. I think he's part of the out might be part of the outsiders team at this point. I'm not sure. It's not one of the, one of the comics I, I follow. Uh, but there's been a lot. I mean, a some some of these characters they never stop being the punching mag or the or the character in peril. It just becomes a different kind of peril and a different kind of abuse. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I was looking because you look at the the idea of the the sidekick being the one who makes things happen, mm. mm -hmm. uh, like in that audio book you're talking about. Sure. And it makes me think of a couple of others. Now, there are fan theories, and there's a I don't know if it's necessarily a parody type of idea but this notion that dr dr watson mm. is the one who actually is the smart one and is the foil for holmes sure. for sherlock holmes but watson is the one who's always figuring things out but he wrote the he wrote the the archive to make it look like Holmes was the smart one, and he was just there. Oh, you're brilliant, Holmes. Well, there's the, um, the Michael Caine, Ben, is it Ben Kingsley, or is it F. Murray Abram? I think it's F. Murray Abraham. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, and that's a really funny movie if you haven't seen it. Yeah, um, the, the idea that Holmes was not as brilliant as he's painted out to be in, in Watson's diaries. But then you also look at the hero sidekick relationship in without a clue without a clue yeah but you look at the hero hero sidekick relationship in big trouble in little china oh sure because a lot of people and it can be argued that jack burton is not the hero in that story it he may be the protagonist and it's argued very strongly by the director of the film yeah he's not the <laughs> hero of the film he's Jack Burton, Kurt Russell's character, is the sidekick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and if you had... Okay, so there's two things. A, if you haven't seen Without a Clue, watch Without a Clue. It's mm. very funny. Um, and B, if you haven't seen Big Trouble Little China... Where have you been? You, you need to watch Big Trouble Little China. It's an, it's an amazingly funny movie. Uh, but it also is a film that 
does a lot of things you don't expect a film coming out of that time period to do, which is A, it inverts, it, 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 it sub subverts the role of the hero and the, and the sidekick. Yeah. Um, it takes, it, in a time when, when um, Asian and Asian American, Asians and Asian Americans in film were not necessarily being treated with a certain amount of, outside of stereotyping, there's a lot of, at first glance, it appears to be stereotyping, but there's a lot of depth to these characters and a lot of discussion of, no, no, that's not, yes, we're aware of the stereotypes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but there's, they're, they're rounded characters who actually are step outside of the stereotypes. It's a very, very well-crafted film, and it's very, very funny. And it's got some entertaining visuals that you just can't get around. I mean, yeah. But it does something very, very clever in in what we expect to see in a hero and sidekick relationship by giving you almost exactly what you expect, except as you watch the film, you realize, but wait. <laughs> well, and there's certainly, like you said, there's more depth to that. And I think in in any solid hero sidekick relationship you have to have that depth in order to avoid all of the tropes and the stereotypes and this is this is what we expect the sidekick to be because you've got to keep it fresh you have to you have to be able to yes we're going to do the sidekick but you have to add something to it in order to make mm -hmm. that relationship appealing to the audience there's got to be something more there and i think Big Trouble in Little China does that very well with not only the depth of the characters, mm -hmm. but in the dialogue and the setup, you get depth in the relationship mm -hmm. between Jack and, oh, I just went blank on his name. Um, oh, no. This, this is the what, internet. These are the, these are the moments we embarrass ourselves. Um, but... Uh, while you're looking that one up, Green uh, Green Hornet and Cato, mm -hmm. which was really a pastiche of Batman and Robin, which originally was kind of a pastiche of the Lone Ranger and Tonto, because you have uh, you know Batman and Robin were not created by Fran Stryker, but the Green Hornet was, uh, right. and and hence we have the relationship of. The Green Hornet being the Lone Ranger's great nephew, so they're almost what? it's almost a, co a carbon copy. Wang Chi. Wang Chi. Thank you. So, you know, the Green Air, uh, Green not Green Arrow, Green Hornet and Kato are pretty much a carbon copy of the Lone Ranger and Tonto. Right. And in, in terms of the nature of the relationship, and Kato and Tonto are both, to me, and again, depending on your how how they're interpreted. But they're both fully formed partners mm -hmm. in the action of the hero. It's not just, you know, I'm going to light the fire. You go, you know, flush out the villains and, and get the bad guys. And I think that what's interesting about those characters is that they came around in a time when this was not something that was fairly common in genre entertainment. Now, it was, it was an interesting, there's an interesting ways of looking at this because it depends on what you're talking about. You're talking about literature, you're talking about TV, are you talking about radio? Because a lot of these characters came out of radio. Um, or are you talking about the comic book world? Now, the comic book world, up until 
gosh, probably the mid to late 70s, was not overly concerned with continuity. Right. Uh, and so consequently, um, you know, the developing of sidekicks into more than a sidekick was not a priority. Now, you saw in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, now, up, up through now, obviously, um, that becoming a, a, a priority, the evolution of, of Dick Grayson's Robin up through all these characters, uh, I think I think an exception to that, though, in the 50s and 60s, was the Teen Titans. Because, one, they're sidekicks, but they're a team of sidekicks as the stars of the of the show. Right, and and, but that would be a rarity. It's a rarity, but it also, I think, gave more weight to those characters when they were performing as the sidekick role in other books. Well, I think it, 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 it was a clever way of targeting a younger demographic in the comic books. Mm. The folks, because I mean, certainly one of the things that a lot of people want out of their entertainment is a character they personally can relate to. Sure. Uh, if if you if you want an example of that, look at young adult publishing. <laughs> I mean, and and the reason it's huge is because kids want a character they can relate to, even if that character is completely unlike them. They can find a way to relate to that character. It becomes an attractive character to them, and that was something that the Teen Titans uh, did at a time when comics, uh, the the superhero comic, uh, it probably through. Would you say the '60s was not the dominant force in comics? We tend to think of it that way, but it's never actually been the dominant force. Probably for a limited period of time through the '70s and maybe the '80s. Mm -hmm. um, but prior to that, it was romance and horror and westerns. Western. Um, the horror comics industry was gigantic, and of course, that was the, uh, the act of Congress, actually. Which, which well, go <laughs> go look at any of Bernie Wrightson's. Frankenstein stuff, or oh, yeah. any of his any of his horror, eerie, creepy. Um, there's oh, there were all kinds of uh, weird, strange tales, strange tales, weird tales. All these different uh, horror comics that were really big at, at the time, and and the guys caused much controversy. Many many people were like, "This is this is well, this is and, bad." And strange tales, if I remember right, is where Thor made his first appearance, wasn't it? Or was he an amazing? Oh goodness, or, I don't recall. No. But there was there was a, there was a less of a line between the horror comics and the and the superhero comics in the early days of Timely and and yeah. you know DC and what was all these different comic book companies, especially the ones that have evolved into the what we call the big two. Um, they've gone through all these different evolutions over time and different focuses. But the but the sidekick in say books like Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Uh, in radio, like the Green Hornet and 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 Cato, uh, the Lone Ranger and Tonto, um, because you were it was theater of the mind, uh, especially with radio, the idea that you could have these characters that were developed, um, you know, these voice actors sh shaping these characters mm -hmm. in a way that you wouldn't necessarily get in TV. You know, Clayton Moore becomes the star of the TV show. Because he's the Lone Ranger. I mean, it's by by default, and so just how TV demographics work and how things, he's going to get more screen time than Tonto. Sure. Um, and uh, but at the same time, uh, if you look at the character overall, Tonto ended up has has very much been a critical character to the, to the storyline. And there've been plenty of authors who've sat there, in, both in comics and novels, and. Um, 
mixed bag with films, mixed bag with feature <laughs> films, uh, to give Tonto the the fact that he's he's really a partner in this enterprise as opposed yeah. to a sidekick and trusted companion. In, in when well when done properly, trusted companion is another way of saying partner. Well, and and one of the one of the versions of the Lone Ranger that does that the relationship really well is the Clinton Spillsbury movie that Warner Brothers did, which the film itself the film itself is not great. No, but and I remember uh, when is, I was so excited. About the I movie, know, right? <laughs> it came out. What was it? Nineteen eighty-one, something like that. So you know, we're not even in our teens yet. But the Lone Ranger was out, and it. No, but my dad had had had. I'd listened to the radio show with my dad. Well, and, I grew and up watching the black and white. Black so and white, exactly Saturday, same Saturday. thing. But yeah. I mean, we just. So, uh, so you had this movie. And Clinton Spillsbury, apparently, all of his dialogue is dubbed. Yeah, it's not even his voice. And you, the first time I saw it. It seemed a little odd. I was like, well, wait a minute. that That's ADR. Why does that... Why is all of his stuff ADR? And it turns out it's somebody else yeah. doing the voice. But uh, the relationship between John Reed and Tonto is... John Reed? Who's John Reed? Well, yeah. <laughs> Dan Reed's brother. Spoiler alert. Uh, spoiler. spoiler alert for Secret Identity. Way to give away the Lone Ranger's Secret Identity, Jason. Somebody poisoned my coffee. Um, well, but the relationship between those two characters is really well done and in-depth and fully realized in that in that story. Something that you don't get very much because you see them growing up as kids after, after all, you know, after the family is, is killed and all of this. Um, to me, though, where where that movie missed the mark the gonna, first the first mark I was going to say are you going to sit there and go with one point cuz the where that movie missed the first mark is showing John Reed's face and I know you've got to he's the star and that but when I when I had my idea for doing the Lone Ranger and I still have I still have notes and stuff because my original idea was to do it on a scale of Lawrence of Arabia, this big four-hour epic sure, thing, sure, sure. right? And of course, the beginning. You of know, it, you know, what we call that now. We call that prestige television, and it's eight episodes. That's right. It's eight that's episodes right. long. But you do. Uh, my my original idea was to take the entire seventeen-minute William Tell overture mm-hmm. because back in those days, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, you've got the overture. Sure, right. You yeah. have this thing, right? So you do this massive overture you take that and you use that to establish our our setting right we're out in west texas and you establish butch cavendish as the villain because when you do the 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 fire on the mountain sequence you know you know the storm on the mountain that's where you do the montage of the butch cavendish gang you know robbing people in the banks of the stagecoaches all that right and then you're your final Lone Ranger theme introduces Silver as a maverick horse in charge of all of these other horses that are wild running across the plain, right? And uh, you'd introduce John as one of the Texas Rangers, but never show his face. 
because that's what they did in the Clayton Moore right, yeah. series. You never saw his face ever. It was he's got the mask on or he's in disguise. And some of the some of the comic comics adaptations have done that as well, where yeah. you would get just like you know the shadow that would cast right across, mm-hmm. you know, and essentially function as the mask. I had this idea for a brilliant camera move shot. Right. So you start off. And I know we're kind of getting off topic here, but you start off behind. You guys have seen, you guys have seen and heard our show before, done, right? Yes, we, we know what we do. But you start off behind the Reed brothers, and they're looking out over the canyon where they're going to get ambushed, right? Mm-hmm. And they go over, and you circle around them, right? And as you circle around, John turns his head to his brother. So the camera's looking at the back of his head. Right, yeah. Comes back around, and as they come around the front, John puts his hat down here and kind of fluffs his head and you come around and as you're coming around the other way now dan's blocking the shot you put the hat so you never see his face i was like oh that's so clever now and i never got the chance to do it now dear hollywood if you are and because i I know we know how this works right there if you you cast a person to play unless you're casting someone who no one has ever seen before uh, which happens but doesn't happen very often um, if you want to show off your star, we completely get that. Yeah. So what you do is you save that star's face until later in the film. You get three quarters of the way into the film, and then you get a flashback. You put it there, and you sit there, and if you got to do it, yeah, if you've got to do it, you yeah. give it, you 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 wait that front of it with the identity mm-hmm. is the Lone Ranger, and then you can sit there and go later back and, and show that the, the the actor's face behind the, you know with the mask off and you know give it this maybe maybe you take a scene from earlier in the film say Tonto discovering the Lone Ranger, you know um, you know the the last survivor of this massacre and, and beginning to nurse him back to maybe you do it there right sure. but but you can do it and still keep the mystery there's something to be said for that now unfortunately you get a film like the Johnny Depp version which does not do anybody justice it does not and the and, and that film is such a schizophrenic movie and and and, and I, I schizophrenic is is not the greatest term to use because it doesn't people don't interpret it right anyway but in terms of what that film's tone is mm-hmm. it doesn't know what it is well and it, i think at all. That, i think some of that is pulling the werewolves out of it because at some point, werewolves were a thing, and I'm like, okay, that's which is not, not to say <laughs> you couldn't do. It's not to that. say you couldn't do a really cool one shot uh, of the Lone Ranger I, I, versus werewolves. I completely, if you can have Abraham Lincoln <laughs> fighting zombies, fighting zombies, <laughs> if you can have Pride and Prejudice and zombies, the, I'm saying oh, you could I, have I, the Lone Ranger versus Predator. See, the funny thing is, is that I can completely see that scene, and it right? looks an awful lot like the scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the Predator's coming at him, and we discover that Predator, that Silver is fatal to Predators. <laughs> like, bang, thud. It'd be like, the other Predator, there's all, and it's a lot of Predators going, we're going to go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you, we, we talk about Lone Ranger and Tano, and... On the on the face of it, the Lone Ranger and Tonto might not necessarily seem to be genre esque, although I think a case could be made that since he's related to the to the Green Hornet, that puts him in the superhero realm. Oh, I think I think you and, would, you could argue when we could cheat by extension. And of course, once you get into the Walt Newton, 
universe. Oh, sure, they're it, all it, they're all connected. It's, that, that definition, Sherlock Holmes is actually Sherlock Holmes is genre because mm -hmm. in um, Star Trek Five, Star Trek Six, Six. Uh, uh, Spock makes it very very clear that he a, an ancestor of his uh, said, "Whenever you eliminate the impossible." Whatever, you know, the wow. very famous Sherlock Holmes quote. Speaking of which, um, Amanda Grayson, more than one person has pointed out that she is, there is significant evidence that she's a descendant of someone who went by the name of Richard Grayson. Right. Uh, which may or may not be an alias, again, according to the Wold Newton universe. Uh, but <laughs> certainly, um, and, and, and I think Dick Grayson is an example of a, of a sidekick who became such a popular character on his own. Mm-hmm. That there was plans during this this small little comic book event back in the eighties, little thing, nobody ever heard of it, um, where they were planning on doing away with Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson was going to die; they were going to kill him off in this thing. And apparently, this did not go over well with the creative people involved in the in the project. I saw an interview with Dan DiDio not too long ago, and he was talking about that very thing, that and the Wally West thing. Mm -hmm. And the idea for killing Dick Grayson was in the middle of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm -hmm. and little little comic event nobody ever heard of. Yeah, but, but DiDio's reasoning for picking Dick Grayson to be the one to die was because the character was so sure. popular and it would hurt more than anybody else. And and it raises the stakes and it does all because, this. Because the stakes in Crisis ended up being so low as it is. Well, I mean, you, yeah, but... I know, I, I know. But, but it, that's why Barry Allen ended up being the one... Dead sure. Instead of Dick Grayson, of course, you know, Supergirl dies in the middle of all that. But, but with an it, iconic, it was supposed a, to be a very Dick Grayson cover. instead of Barry Allen. Sure. And after that, it sort of took on a life of its own at conventions because apparently people were giving. Did you know they they asked him about it sure, at one right. point, and he made a joke about it, and then suddenly it became a bit. And you know, and Didio says, "I never really wanted to kill him because I hated him. I, oh, you know, I, I had story reasons. I don't to kill think. Him. It, yeah, I don't, it's not a question. But see, of, that's, where question the, of that's where the, the, the urban character. legend came from. Dan Didio hates Wally West. Yeah, no, it's, it's the and and certainly there are, there have been characters that creators have been very very clear they don't care for that they've yeah. been, that they've written like I don't like they're like writing this character and like, you know and the, and they sort of just disappear from the book for a while. Um, well, but, and, and Didio says that one of the problems with Wally West was that he was a carbon copy of Barry Allen. Yeah, you change you you change who's wearing the suit. He's exactly the same. But his, his origins the same and everything else. But you also look at these characters and once they got out from underneath their the shadow of the character they were the sidekick to, mm -hmm. and and there and they haven't gone. This all this kind of sounds bit wrong when I say it, but it's 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 been a strength less than a weakness. They never got too far out of the shadow, right? And 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 it worked because when when Batman was apparently dead, comic book death, mm -hmm. um, and Dick Grayson took up the mantle of Batman. Spoiler alert for. 
a decade ago or more. Yeah. That was actually a, a fairly popular run. Actually. It was a fairly popular run because it a lot of fans looked at Dick Grayson, uh, Dick Grayson's Robin and Nightwing, as being the logical successor to Bruce Wayne. Now they right. played with that. They played with that with with Damian Wayne, uh, and but there's also been this dynamic here where looking into the character of Bruce Wayne and the children that he rescues and then puts in danger. But that's another thing. But um, the, the Bat family. Yeah. And there's been an emphasis really over the last probably 10 years to lean into the idea that it is family. And that for all the fact that Bruce Wayne is emotionally very, very traumatized and broken, he is trying to be a father to these People and that they looked at him as a father for good and for ill. There's pros and cons to that, but it's one of the things that that dy that dynamic that relationship really was developed well with, between Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne, so that when Dick Grayson goes off and becomes Nightwing with the t with the Teen Titans uh, and his own comic series and all these and know. a and a gloriously funky new costume. Oh yeah, <laughs> there that the oof yeah, yeah. that just that was a really that was it. Poof, poof, yeah. Spell P W O O O F. You look at some of these costumes from the '80s, and and you think, how does that stay up? Is that starch? What's that made out of? Is that war it's are warbler? There, are, there, are there are there wires in there? It's the. It's like, I know it's, it's that costume yeah, makes no sense, but it looked cool on the page. But um, so even when you can and and of course recently they've been exploring the ideas who is Dick Grayson if his history is taken away. So they mm -hmm. actually had the series. For for mixed fans have been have been very very mixed about it because part of it is we all know Dick Grayson is going to become he's lost his memory in the comics and and et cetera et cetera uh, but the idea that that Dick Grayson is Dick Grayson whether he knows who he is or not the person yeah. that he is but you look at Wally and when when Barry Allen is killed in Crisis on Infinite Earths and the really the you know the plan was that Barry was dead that was it there was the intention was you know the for a longest time it was Uncle Ben is dead. Barry Allen is dead. Yep. These are the important deaths. And in fairness, bringing, bringing Barry Allen back, the story worked. So however, however you feel about it, at least the story worked, right? Sure. But the thing about Wally West is that he became a, um, a, a character once he was on his own, once he had to become the Flash, not just Kid Flash. He became a character who fans really, really liked and cared about as the legacy character, as the successor to the Flash, who became the Flash. Well, and for an entire generation, he was the Flash. Same thing with uh, Kyle Rayner as, as Green Lantern. Now, yeah. Green Lantern is a little bit different because it's a it's a title, and it's a it's it's you know they're 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 space police officers. Right. And so anybody anybody who qualifies to wear the ring can wear the ring, so they'd be called Green Lantern. But it's, you know, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan. Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner. Green Lantern, you know, John Stewart. So, um, but for, yeah, for a while there, of course, because Hal Jordan was comic book dead. <laughs> and, After becoming a villain. Yeah, but Kyle Rayner wasn't a sidekick. So he was a character who literally was the next person to wear the ring yeah. uh, or, or another person to wear the ring because at that point, of course, we had John Stewart and Guy Gardner and, and the rest of the core, but he was the next person to become the star of the Green Lantern comic. Um, but yeah, that whole, there was a whole generation that looked at those characters and sat there and went, this is my Flash. 
Well, because Wally was the Flash in Justice League, uh, the animated series. Mm-hmm. You had John Stewart as Green Lantern. You had Wally West as the Flash. Yeah. So yeah, one one sidekick, trusted companion, we have not talked about yet, and I want to circle back around to him because uh, he figures into an essay that I wrote in high school. Because the origin of the the trusted sidekick, the faithful companion, uh, in this uh, in this paper that I wrote, and I can't remember if I was a sophomore or junior in high school. I think can be traced back to James Fenimore Cooper, mm. because in his Leatherstocking Tales novels. Right which features a character named Nettie Bumpo, also mm-hmm. known as Hawkeye, uh, which is uh, where Alan Alda's character on MASH got the name because Dad was a fan of the Leatherstocking. Right, yeah. So that's that's why Hawkeye Pierce is Hawkeye Pierce. Uh, but Hawkeye had an Indian friend mm-hmm. named Chingachgook. Mm-hmm. And as best I could find in my research at the time, Chingachgook seems to be the first faithful companion, trusted sidekick type of character in that kind of a relationship with your hero protagonist. And that's what, 18... Uh, what does that, that Wikipedia listing say that that one is? 1867 or something that uh, that it was published? I would... 1826. I would say probably in Western literature, but you go back to... Uh, Gilgamesh and Enkidu from a Babylonian uh, literature where basically the kind of really it's it's in many ways it's it's not I almost don't want to say I don't want to say prototype no. um, but it certainly was a dynamic that was you know and it involved when Enkidu was killed yeah Gilgamesh goes to hell to save his friend so it's it's you know it's, it's mythology as it's slightly it's arguing that some of this stuff is modern mythology as it is but um, I definitely think that you, you're probably right in terms of Western literature format because a lot of the dynamics for companions um, were more of a group dynamic, you get like in the Three Musketeers, right? Um, which is there's actually four of them, and <laughs> you know. Wait, what? Spoiler math, alert! Math is hard. Spoiler alert for for novels, uh, but you know, um, but it was also some of this stuff. You know, it was the and that was the true companions, which is a different uh, uh, subset of, of the the relationship between you know characters in, in fiction. But um, there's a uh, I think there's a fairly good argument to be made for that. It might actually be one of the first ones in Western literature. I'm having a hard time thinking about anything prior to that that, that I, I can. I occasionally have flashes of smart. And I'm gonna have that's, to, I, that's back when I had time to do the research and homework <laughs> as opposed sure. to just making it up as I go now. So, hey, winging it is is uh, there's there's some pros to that. <laughs> ah, it's a, it's a it's a fascinating thing, really, when you think about some of these characters because a lot of the a lot of the sidekicks or companion characters are often there to be the audience surrogate. 
you look at like the companions in say Doctor Who. Sure. Right? I can see that. You know, they're the they're the you could argue that the companion is a kind of that the audience proxy. The audience proxy. Yeah. And and to some degree, especially if you're a kid, the idea of being Robin, whether that's uh, a Robin named uh, Dick or Stephanie mm. or uh, any of the other <clears throat> small army of people who have been Robin over time, um, they've all been young people who have become, have gotten to go adventure with Batman. Yeah. They got to go out, and so for, for a young reader, or teenager in a lot of cases, and some, I mean, some stuff is written for younger audiences as well, the idea that you get to imagine being Batman's sidekick, you know, or imagine being the, it's a lot easier to be the sidekick than it is to be the, the hero sometimes because the sidekick is oftentimes a lot more normal um, right and uh, or at least not as um, uh, so high up on a pedestal that you can believe that you can be them. the the sidekick can be a little bit more flawed yeah and a little, incomplete a little more like a little more like us yeah. versus the you know a superman or or you know the great detective or all these other characters you know the idea that the idea that uh, uh, Watson um, is a lot more relatable as a character to the reader in many ways mm -hmm. um, is not terribly surprising when you consider that if you if you look at Holm, you, how many of us can can amass that level of intellect and knowledge that Holmes has? How many of us are more likely to be the one going, "Why, that's brilliant!" <laughs> and he looks at you and goes, "No." elementary <laughs> well and and in that paper I drew a line from Chingachgook through Tonto to Spock sure because Spock best friend compatriot not just not just the first officer from mm -hmm. her but that one that one is a little tricky because I don't know that you would necessarily say that Spock is a sidekick because no the, the relationship between Kirk and Spock and McCoy is almost it's almost Greek in its structure because you have the hero mm -hmm. in Kirk he's Jason he's uh, uh, um, Oh, any any of those, you know, heroic Greek figures, and Spock and McCoy are his are either his muses, or they're the chorus, and they're coming back at him and saying yes, but mm -hmm. but yes, but well, you have to think this. It's a, it's a it's a true companion situation, which we usually think of as a duo, but it's really a trio there. Yeah, because Spock and McCoy are opposites of the, opposite sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. They represent the the both halves of Kirk's psyche. But at the same time, is because we've had time to develop those characters over TV series and novels and comics and movies, and even if you've only seen the TV series and, and the films, you've watched those characters evolve to show that Spock and McCoy, while are they are very, very different, they have a lot in common. Yeah. Where Kirk is uh, not all, he's, he's a very human hero which with, with, with flaws, with strengths and flaws. But you also go back to that mythology of something like uh, uh, Gilgamesh and Enkidu, where when Spock, spoiler alert, is killed, or, or dies heroically, spoiler alert, um, 
nothing is going to stop Kirk from going to hell mm-hmm. and rescuing his friend, which is, of course, also something that figured in, in, in Greek mythology as well. Yeah. Although that was a much more romantic relationship. You know, if they had layered that into Star Trek three a little bit more, and it's a it shame might have, that it might have been a little bit more epic. Yeah, and, 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 and I really, scope. I really like Star Trek Three a lot, but it 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 doesn't have the, it feels like it ought to have more scale. Well, and and you and I have talked about this before. I've I have pointed out the one flaw in the entire premise of the whole movie that could completely ruin and eliminate the movie because of this one thing. This one thing completely destroys Star Trek 3 altogether. Just obliterates it. And that's it's it when that when that when that light went off in my head and I thought, "Oh, hold on. <laughs> that ruins the whole thing." Uh but yeah, I mean, it's still a fun movie. Do not stare directly. I know, I know. At the I know. pop culture. But you, all you have to do is switch a couple of bits, and you can make it work. Because, in order, yeah. Anyway, yeah. But yeah, but but Spock is one of those. He he's. The more I think about it, just right now on, on the face of it, the less I'm thinking that that he's companion sidekick and he's a he's at the same level hero as Kirk, but he's not really. Well, it, it, it's he's almost a he he's a he's a demi hero in the TV series. I'd say that's very much the case, but you see, especially start. I mean, even starting with with Star Trek: The Motion Picture, when you consider the story of whose growth. Mm-hmm. Who the who has the most growth in that film? Yeah, it's not Kirk, it's not McCoy, it's really two characters. Uh, Spock is one of them, and the other one is the character you remember you remember is in the film, which is the other captain of the Enterprise, that Deckard guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, because it's not it's not his story. Yeah, but he's in terms of the character with the eyes. Spock, in terms of the 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 main Star Trek cast has the most growth over the course of that film. Kirk has his growth uh, in over the course of several films. Really, two, three, and five, I think, are his big growth pictures. Sort of coming coming to terms with who he is and where he is in his life, in his and age. S- and some of his career. and some of his weaker spots. I mean you yeah. get in, you you get into the the, in Star Trek VI, the moments where he lets his rage and his hatred cloud the better parts of his nature, the things that make him a good captain, the ability to step beyond his emotional uh, uh, reaction and think about what's best for his crew and his mission and things like that. Um, and that actually goes all the way back to The Enemy Within, because mm-hmm. in Sickbay, they have this conversation, Kirk and Spark. After he's split in half, you have the rage and the barbarism and the anger and and that 
on one on one side, <clears throat> and you have the compassion and the intelligence of the control on the other. And Spock makes a point of saying, "It's you know, yes, the rage is there, and it's useful, and it's a tool that you use. But the intelligence of the compassion controls that." And then you go all the way up to Star Trek VI, where he he basically lets the wolf loose, mm-hmm. and there are consequences to that. Yeah, and it, and I think it's it's a scene that I, I don't think people people have talked about, but I think I don't, don't people think do people talk about enough in terms of in terms of letting Kirk, uh, Kirk be a, a character who is not he's got more dimensions and and, and again I'm talking the books have allowed all of these characters to have much much deeper richer sure. lives because you can do that in a book, yeah. but the the making the 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 moment where Kirk betrays. I'm not going to say everything he believes in, but betrays his better nature by letting his his rage, and his understandable anger. His, I mean, there's there's reasons for for what is a particularly what you can almost think is an out of character moment, but it's not. Mm. Um, and then Spock's reaction to that scene is perfect because he's Jim Kirk's friend, and he knows that man. He know and yeah. he knows why he's angry. I think the anger. I think Kirk's anger in Star Trek Six would have had a better it would have fit better if we had gotten the scene that's in one of the books mm. where the colony that Carol is on is attacked by Klingons and I don't know I don't know if that's in Star Trek 6 in the novelization or not I don't there's, recall. there's something that adds to his Outrage at Klingons because they've—he's basically taken it personally that they've come after his family. Yeah, and, I, and they didn't, but you know they attacked the colony where Carol is working. Yeah, after they've killed his son. Well, and and I think that there's we we make some we make some certain leaps here in in terms of uh, Kirk's character because we know that if you watch the original series, Kirk probably has a lot of children, um, <laughs> but the only child that we've seen. And the child that we've acknowledged and is is officially canon is David, um, and and William Shatner gives a wonderful performance in Star Trek Three, yeah. reacting to that. It does. And the problem, the only problem there is that we as an audience don't spend enough time with David, and we don't spend enough time with David and Kirk, yeah. which is not something necessarily that those movies were thinking about doing. Now, if it, if it had been made as a prestige series, now for television. You have ten episodes. You would have got two or three of those where you develop that, so that when David is killed, the audience gets a gut punch because right. um, it's been done very well with with quite a few of the Prestige series where they do exactly that. It's like, oh, here's this wonderful character. Oh, and now you've murdered them, you monsters. <laughs> but I liked them. Now we must have revenge. <laughs> well, and I think too the you know the the sidekick type of character also serves in that regard as well because David's death in Star Trek 3 for example would probably mean more if it had been say Spock or mm. McCoy well it's why the death in the family that became as powerful as it is yeah. because when when Jason Todd, however you felt about him as a character, and I, and many people think he's much more interesting when he came back from the dead, uh, sure. as someone who is not necessarily 
he's affiliated with the Bat family. Uh, well, and I think that too, when when he comes back and now he's Red Hood, you have a chance to change that character and maybe take away some of the things that people didn't like about him as Robin. Mm -hmm. And you can refine it a little bit and say, okay, well, well, he's not Robin, he's this other character, and now you can get away with some of the but also some of the rough edges. Some of those small we'll make some of those rough edges that I think people found intriguing about him as Robin, but weren't necessarily developed as well. Yeah. And make them into a character whose driving force is not to be who doesn't necessarily disagree with Batman's mission. But thinks that his methods aren't don't go far enough, which is what we saw in year two, mm -hmm. um, and or not, yeah, was it year two? Um, yeah, with uh, Caspian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the Reaper. Right, Mask of the Phantasm. If you if you see the animated right. version. Yeah, it's and I think that there's there's a way to explore with some of these sidekicks uh, where you can sit and, and I think they've done a really good job with the Bat family um, with the exception of uh, have they ever brought Spoiler back? You know, I think they did for a little bit in Rebirth. I think I, thought, I, I thought think that, she's been back for a little bit as Spoiler. Yeah, Stephanie cause, Brown. Because Stephanie Brown was uh, the first not the first female Robin. The first female Robin was uh, in uh, The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, Carrie Kelly. And uh, and I believe that she's going to be the the star of the new um, Dark Knight series that's coming out from from them. From uh, oh, uh, I've seen I saw some cover art where it looks like she is the new. Uh, it's, it's I have not seen. I'll this. I'll have to see if I can look, find that. But uh, uh, it's I think from the last whoever because. He did the. Um, he had a co-writer on the last one. Who? Oh yeah, um, it wasn't Greg Capullo. It was. It wasn't Rucka. Who was it? Was was it? Was it Azarello? Uh, no, I can't remember. I, I can't remember. But I, yeah, I think that. It, but it's another one where he's got a co-writer, and I think that it's actually it's it's dealing, which is which in many ways the Dark Knight series um, we're setting up. Right. Because, uh, you know, for good or for ill, however you feel about the series as a whole, I think it's got some real highs and some real lows. Um, there's, It was always kind of meant to be <coughs> what happens after Batman gets too old. Yeah. Um, and it, it was it was building towards this point. So if they, if, depending on how well it's written, it could be a very interesting series. But the idea that, that these characters would be, you know, these... Batman would inspire these characters, these sidekicks, for good and for ill. And where there was, there was a, and the, uh, you can argue the writing didn't exactly do what it was supposed to do in a couple of places, several places. Mm. But the idea that there would be consequences to this, and Stephanie was appeared to be for a time a casualty of the idea of the sidekick, putting someone young in danger. Um, and that there are repercussions for this. And so it's a way to explore some of these different things. You can't, like you said earlier, it's harder to explore that with the hero. It's harder to explore that with, I mean, how, how much can you explore that and still keep Batman Batman? Right. If it's him. How much can you explore that with Superman and still keep Superman Superman? And you can argue that there's, there's good stories to be told doing that, but whether or not you're willing to convince an, uh, 
uh, an audience to go along with you well, in the main title. You could the, do it in Elseworlds without too much sure, trouble. But right? the problem the problem with that is if you do any anything like that, that brings a paradigm shift level change to the character. The odds are it's not permanent. Or and you're doing it with a character that you you can you can you're allowed to. Alan Moore was saying Miracle Man or Marvel Man. Yeah. Uh, basically sitting there and going, okay, we're going to take this character in a direction that you do not think we're going to do that with, and then we're going to basically turn that character into everything that you don't know that you really want to read about. Um, but that's a rarity. Right. Alan Moore is the kind of person who walks into a room and goes, no, let me tell you what I'm going to do to you this hero that you like. And you're going to sit there and go, what a terrible idea. Please, please write it. Yeah, say, please don't kill me. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. yeah. If you see him now, it's like, my God, look at the size of that beard. <laughs> I can't stop looking at the power of the beard. Um, or the fact that he's in your room at all because, and he's got a comic book idea. Yeah. It's like, whoa, wait, go. Oh, Okay. <laughs> well, and and one one sidekick that we haven't really talked about that I think would be interesting to see as a hero, you know, grown up now, mm -hmm. is Short Round. You talk about Indiana Jones. Short Quite Round. frankly, uh, well, it's uh, more than one person has argued that uh, Indiana Jones didn't need a son in the fourth film. He already had one. Yep. If nothing else, a spiritual one. And quite frankly, if we're going to get an Indiana Jones 5... You know what I want. I, there, there is so much opportunity there to be mined. Can you imagine? Not only that, but I Especially think. Especially given that that kid grew up to be a stunt coordinator. He's a stuntman. That's what he does. Well, I mean, okay, but not only that. You know, for for the folks who who want who want you know uh, a character that could be a legacy character. You don't think of Indiana Jones as a legacy character, but he could be, mm. and a character that. Um, you know, you don't necessarily see. Uh, you know, we how many how many Asian action heroes do we have that don't fall into the, like the the stereotypes? The stereotypes. Yeah. And and wouldn't it be great to have Short Round show up and go? No, actually, I'm a real archaeologist. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're well, right. It does belong in a museum. And I made arrangement with the consul, <laughs> the, well, I the, mean, the embassy even, to. <laughs> you can even have him being an Indiana Jones type because, oh yeah, you know, with Indiana Jones getting as old as he is, he gets into a situation where things do not go the way they're supposed to go, like they do, and he has to be rescued. Sure, and. Well, you know, he the, ha he the, the technically had to be rescued in the first film quite a bit. Well, so yeah, he's but, you know, he, he's he, kind of a terrible hero. But if you <laughs> if you look at if you look at the dynamic in in Big Trouble in Little China, oh yeah, and apply that to Short Round in Indy, it would be fantastic. And Indy becomes the sidekick to tr that well, would be a completely different way of passing off the baton. And we've already seen a model for that. You would have to be careful not to to pastiche it or, or treat it too slavishly is we saw it with Indiana Jones and his father mm -hmm. in The Last Crusade. So you I mean you saw that the, and you could have that dynamic or a dynamic in, in that echoes that to some degree in bringing Short Round back. And of course giving him you know a name that is not Short Round. Sure. Which is 
first of all. <laughs> Not a good name for a grown-up. For a kid, it's 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 fairly irritating. But even in all fairness to to you know an actor <coughs> who I was not a fan of in uh, oh, for I just, I'm just drawing a blank on the on the guy who played Indy's son Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Even he has acknowledged his performance in that film was was not great yeah. at all, and and that it, it, the the character deserved better. However, you feel about him, he's he's made some very introspective stuff over the last few years. At least uh. acknowledging his own failings. Um, and I think that I'd be more than happy to just ignore that character entirely and well, bring back, give us, give us the, you the could spiritual side. Acknowledge Henry Jones the Third. You could acknowledge actually, it, actually, but he doesn't have to even be there. That's what you. That's but that's what that's what you get. You get the fit. You get the real real son, and Sheila Buff turning the character like it's supposed to be treated, and, and short, short round. round. And yeah. so you have this the, the 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 spiritual son and the real son, and you write it really really good. So that you actually have these two guys having, I, I, They're, I have, I have thoughts. Yes. <laughs> well, and of course, the villain has to be a woman, because out of the smoke, short round comes, he walks out, and his first line in the movie, you call him Doctor Jones, doll. <laughs> <laughs> or at least, it, it at least, practically writes itself. There has to be, there has to be a a female villain. Not maybe yeah, could be. Or. Okay, this is the prologue, right? Where probably it's Marion because they're married, right? They're having a fight, you know, and and da 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 would be the nature of their relationship. Yelling, 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 and you know, and she's you know, Indy and all this, and Henry and whatever, and that's where he comes in and says, "Die!" And you call him Doctor Jones. If you're gonna fight with him, yeah. oh no 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 no! See what you do is, you have your story, and a quarter of the way you're not you don't even see him until the quarter of the way into the film, and he comes in and he's he's saving him, and he's like, "Who are you?" <laughs> <laughs> he looks at him and and oh no, she says, "Who are you?" Mm. She goes, and the very, it's a variation on the line. It's like, "Why don't you tell her, Doctor Jones, or something like that?" And then Indy's like. You know, the light goes off, and the short round, he's like, okay, my name actually is. I mean, there's all kinds of fun ways you could do it and still, sure. and, still and and treat the film with the, the story with the irreverence that a good Indiana Jones film has, well, but also the round, seriousness and strength still, of character You stuff. could do the same kind of joke you did with the dog. Yeah. We named the dog Indiana. Short round was the name of the... You know, the street where you pick me up. That's not my name. Yeah. You, you do something like that. Well, oh, I mean, it practically writes itself. So let's see. Um, you, you set it in. You set it in the 60s or the, the late 60s, early 70s, so you can riff a little bit off the rise of Asian cinema in the West. The Kung Fu movies. The Kung Fu Bruce movies. Bruce Lee stuff. And but it, but but you subvert it there as well because that's playing into a stereotype. So you play it up to a point before you yank the rug out of the stereotype. There's all kinds of fun ways you could do this because then it's Indiana Jones playing in the spy thriller realm, where again you well, could dance into the genre stuff to a point and still play with your archaeology yeah, things. You're, you're going to have to depend on uh, the age because Kingdom of the Crystal Skull being in the fifties lines up with how old Harrison Ford was then. 
and now right. you go forward. If you go, if you can do the if you can do the sixties, yeah, you could get into the sixties, I guess, with that. Right. Um, and that would and that would put that would put your short round. Um, he'd, at be, he'd be about in his thirties, forties, um, which is a good heroic age for this kind of character. How old is that guy anyway? Oh goodness, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, no, there's all kinds of possibilities. Dear Steven Spielberg. See, and this is why I keep my trusty sidekick mm. around to help us, you know, bounce these ideas exactly. back and forth and, and we come up with with, <laughs> with brilliant stuff and things. So all right. Um I think we've I think we've reached there's the point where we there are a lot more sidekicks out there and oh, there characters are, that we yeah. can talk about, but uh, yeah, there's it's a, it's a good stuff. Yeah, but we will. Here's what we'll do: we will leave it to you, in the audience, to uh, give us some feedback. Send us an email h two o at sci fi for me dot com, mm -hmm. or you can leave a comment on the video or sure. comment on the on the audio, and let us know some of your favorite companions, sidekicks, partners, foils. Well, even even. Wolverine and Kitty Pride, Wolverine and Jubilee character. We didn't even dive into some of these proteges, yeah. things like that. The characters who were who were picked, who were developed and shaped and, and became who they are, by being the partner to X twenty three, clones. Yeah. You know, you have the whole, that whole mess too. So all kinds uh, of things you could run with. So yeah, you can you can leave us uh, leave us a comment or, or send us a note, and we will be back again next Monday at eight o'clock live here on Sci Fi for Me. In the meantime, we do invite you to subscribe and have the notifications turned on. We do have a brand new, not really a brand new show, but a brand new version of an older show, uh, Live from the Bunker, which airs Monday through Thursday at noon central live. Uh, we just posted today, uh, uh, Tim having an interview with Eric Bress about his new movie, Ghost of War. And tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, uh, Mitch Breitweiser will be our guest, and so that'll be an interesting conversation that we'll have there with him. So we want you to join us there for that. And, of course, uh, Salacious Crumbs, brand new tomorrow night as well. And we had a, a new Tardis House this week, this week yeah. Episode 50. Which, interestingly enough, we're discussing the, the TV movie. The Doctor Who TV movie from uh, the 90s, which uh -huh. actually is... Uh, incredibly influential for the current TV series coming back in ninety in two thousand and five, and it's one of the things we're going to talk about. Uh, we there's probably a lot more we can talk about than we'll have time for, but but we're excited, we're kind of excited about it. So all right, so that'll do it for us tonight. Thanks very much for watching. If you are listening to this as as a podcast, we do invite you to watch the show uh, Monday nights at eight o'clock live on sci-fi for me TV. That's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks very much. Thanks guys. We'll be back in a week. Copyright 2020 by flaming dog media, LLC, all rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of flaming dog media.